0: Let's turn our Bibles to the book of John. Today's scripture reading is John chapter 4, verses 3 all the way to 42. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world.
1: We are in part four of our series on what are the distinctives of our church. And thank you for listening to a lengthy and important passage in the Bible. Um, A famous story of Jesus encountering a woman at a well, who's a Samaritan, and I chose this passage because today's topic is a hard one. It's specifically about racism. Racism and cultural prejudice. That's what we're going to talk about today. And how the gospel offers us a hope of what it means to be a people, despite the fact that deep down we all have racial baggage. In fact, at the, in the most deepest way, we're all racists. We really are. So, in order to get at this, um, I I, I wanted to offer you a a little movie clip, okay? Because I want you to feel this. This clip that I want to offer you is really the same drama that's happening in John chapter 4. What's happening in John chapter 4 is a racism problem. I mean, it's not the only issue that's going on in John chapter 4, but racism is hugely hangs over what's going on in John chapter four when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. And for some of you who grew up in the church, you're like, oh, is, okay, I know, I, know, I know this story. No, you don't. <laughs> as long as John chapter four is nothing like the race issues that we wrestle with, then you don't know this problem. So in the middle of this message, I want you to wrestle with this, and I want to give you a clip from a famous movie called Crash. Any of you ever seen this movie? Raise your hand. seen the movie Crash? Crash. Uh, it's, uh, let me give you my little 20 seconds of being um, a pastor film critic here. It's a good movie, not a great movie, um, even though it won Best Picture Academy Award. It, it is, I, I do think it is very much worth seeing, and um, I, I rewatched it a couple times this week in preparation for this message. And as I was watching it, I said, it is, it is actually, um, it has a very deep and sophisticated understanding of race and culture. It really does. And um, I'm gonna show you this little clip and I'm gonna give you a little background on this. And, and let me just ask you, Nathan, to just you know, pause the, 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 the audio recording while you show the clip and then we'll, we'll pick up, okay? Um, a little background on this movie if you've never seen it. It just has an ensemble cla- cast and it weaves a bunch of different people of all kinds of different races and eth- ethnicities. And the movie is called Crash because it's all set in LA. And L.A. is one of the most, of course, multi-ethnic cities in the world. But it says, and we in America, everybody in America knows we're not supposed to be racist. <laughs> if you, We all know that this, uh, the law of being good, do not look down upon other people because of their skin color or their race. We all know this. And if you think you're not a racist because as soon as you look at a person, you don't look down upon them because of their race or their skin color... Let me tell you, you are really naive. <laughs> You're unbelievably naive. This movie was presented to say that actually racism is a far deeper and worse problem than we think it is, because it's really about culture. And we all have different prejudices about other cultures. And I'm sure I'm really in my first part of my message. The thickness of cultural prejudice. Cultural prejudices, we call it racism. Racism is actually probably a crude word and probably almost a false, I don't want to say a false word, an inadequate word for the real problem of human communities unable to really meet each other in peace and harmony and real depth of unity. And the movie Crash says, really, we're living in this multi-ethnic city and, and we act like we're not racist toward each other. But all, every now and then, we crash into each other. And whenever we crash into each other, then some things happen and our deep and actual attitudes about the people that are not like us, they all spill out. That's what the movie is. It's just portrayals of all these crashes. And this little clip I'm about to show you, um, it stars uh, Sandra Bullock. And her husband is played by a, a, a guy named Brendan Fraser. You guys probably know of Brendan Fraser. And Brendan Fraser is a district attorney of Los Angeles, so he's, he's a powerful and successful person. And they're rich, upper-class, educated people. And this happens not long, right after a sequence in which they were walking down Ventura Boulevard, and I, I don't really know Ventura Boulevard, but apparently it's a well-to-do neighborhood. And, um, and while they were walking down Ventura Boulevard, two young black teenagers jump out pull out a gun, and carjack them. And they have, you know, of course, they drive an expensive SUV. And she's traumatized by this. She's still very upset by this sequence. And um, she has hired somebody to redo the locks on their house. And this is the conversation that they have. Now, just a quick warning, there's some for profanity. There's even a little bit of... nudity in the in in, in, the, in their art. They have sophisticated art and it's like a painting of like a, a, a of a scantily clad woman. Okay, so please don't be distracted by these kinds of things and I hope it doesn't offend you or stumble you. But pay attention to the conversation and what she's upset about. Okay? Good? And the amigo comes in and he drops off the keys. Um three parts of my message, the thickness of cultural prejudice. Part two, the walls of race, class, and morality. We don't only just size up people according to their skin color, they have a competing or a differing morality, which we don't like. It's offensive to us. That's why we don't like them. And part three, breaking breaking barriers through grace, through the grace of God. Hmm. I just showed you this clip from the movie Crash. You could feel it. She, just, she was just carjacked by two young black men. She's really upset. She doesn't have her normal polite filter on. <laughs> I mean, she's so upset. Uh, the, 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 the pretty um, young black woman is, is uh, the district attorney's assistant. I mean, she's, you know, she's dressed up nicely. She's a clearly educated type person. And yet, she can't keep... <laughs> you're supposed to say... If you're going to say these dirty things, at least say it in the bedroom <laughs> with the volume down right. Come on. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? If you're going to say what you really think about other people... You have to say it with your friends in private where the other people can't hear you, right? We have this legalism, and that's really what it is. It's just a legalism, and this is really interesting. In America, regardless of what religion you believe in or what skin color you are, everybody knows the right and the wrong about about racism. Um, You you have, I'm sure, you know, we all have friends, we all have friends that don't believe in God, and if you ask them if they are, whatever they believe, they'll say, I'm agnostic, and then if you press them, they'll say, I'm I'm a relativist. They'll even admit that they're a relativist. I have plenty of friends who will just say, yes, I'm a relativist. They're absolutely not relativists when it comes to racism. They're utterly, that's like an absolute, and it's a powerful piece of judgment that will happen. I mean, if you just go around and say something about certain other people, you will be judged. And everybody, we all know it. But actually, race is not just about what you say about other people, because it's just, that's just the external politeness. If you start going under race problem, is really about cultural prejudice. And we all are steeped into a culture. And the culture shapes who we are. And we all know who we are from the people that we're a, or we're a part of. And every people that we're a part of, it's thick. It's not just skin color. The skin color is, we just can't get past the fact that different people look a different way. I mean, it's really strange. Um, I've lived on the East Coast. I'm very American. I love McDonald's and football and baseball and... I love singing patriotic songs. I I mean, I don't even know the Korean patriotic songs. I mean, besides the fact that I like kimchi, you know, I'm actually, I don't know, I'm probably more like 75% white and 10%, you know, throwing a little Mexican and whatever, and then like 20% or whatever, throwing whatever the percentages are and Korean, okay? That's That's probably, culturally, that's my makeup. And yet, when a Caucasian person meets me, on, especially on the East Coast, they ask me questions like, oh, where are you from? I wanna say San Jose, California. But I know what they're asking. You know what they're asking, right? Because the, the, they just, was just, and by the way, don't, you can't get too mad at them because we all do this, you do this too. you look like at a person, just, just see their skin color And then you just assume all these different things about their culture, some of which you like, some of which you do not like, some people you like, some people you do not like. Because we all, this is the depth of sin. Sin is not just a mean, inside of me little problem. It's a we problem. And sin is, is, it infects the whole human condition. And it absolutely affects how we do community. It affects how we do culture. It absolutely affects race, ethnicity, and cultural identity, the we. And whoever the we is, we, ha- we always define against who they are. You actually, actually, if you don't know God, the only way you can even know who you are is you have to define yourself over against them. You know that? Koreans know who they are because we define ourselves against the Japanese. <laughs> that's how actually a lot of what makes Koreans tick is we chase the Japanese and we have to be better than them. Okay, now maybe not we, because some of you are Korean American, you're like, that part of Koreanness is weird to me. But actually, that's a big part of Korean racism. And it's deep, it is really deep. It's so deep, it shapes the way they think about baseball. Who invented baseball? White Americans. You know how Koreans think about baseball? They learned it from the Japanese. And when Koreans think about baseball, they measure themselves up against Japanese baseball players and then ultimately American baseball players. See, it's that deep. And right here in this this sequence, you have this woman carjacked by black youths, by the way, the movie is, uh, it, it is really worth seeing. I, like I, I don't think it's a great movie, like I said. It's a good movie. But you have two young black men. This is how deep the race problem is. The, it, like I said, the cultural prejudice problem. Maybe we should call it that, which is a better, more precise way of putting it. You have two young black men, and they're smart, and they're articulate. So they're not like just dumb thugs. And the sequence, right before they carjack this couple having an argument about racism. And one of them is an angry kind that is suspicious of all, he's like, he's one of these kinds, of like, everybody is always trying to keep me down because I'm black. He's one of those kind of, he, he thinks like that. Okay? But the other guy is not. He's, he's much more nice and he gives people, and they come out of a restaurant and the, the angry one is telling us, did you see that our waitress didn't offer us coffee, didn't fill us in this restaurant where she's, Attending to all the white people. She doesn't offer us extra cups of coffee. And he said, we did not. And the other guy goes, we didn't even order coffee. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then he says, did you notice that our waitress is black? And you know what the whole point of that sequence is? While you're sitting there, you know what his argument is? The, the other guy's argument is, well, just because she's black doesn't mean she can't have have come in and gotten the ideas of the man. And she has the ideas of the man, and so she sees two young black guys, and so she treats us and the way the man looks at us. And you know when he says that? You know when he says that? If you are watching that movie, the whole point of that conversation is... Immediately, when the the nicer young black man says, hey, are you kidding? We didn't even even order coffee and our waitress is black. That sounds so sensible, right? If she's black, how can she be racist against us because we're black, And that seems so simple. But then the other guy, the more angry, makes the point, which is the deeper truth. Because racism isn't just about skin color. It's about the way you look at the other person. And he points that out. And I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was thinking like, this guy's an idiot. (laughs) But as soon as he said that, he made me squirm. And that's the truth. Why am I talking about this? Come on, pastor. What's wrong with you? (laughs) You're not supposed to talk about race. I mean, like race is a third rail. You can't talk about this stuff. The Bible does. I'll get to it in just a minute. We read a really long passage. I'll get to that passage in just a minute. Look, we are a church. If you show up and you look at our community with your eyes, if you look at the external, we are, you know, in a historical, cultural, kind of the way, we, the way um, non-Christians would look at us is we would be seen as an Asian church or a Korean church. Okay. But if you actually even drive into, the, uh, into our, our lot, we have, we have two signs, and none of them say anything about being Korean. One is written in Korean. It says exactly the same thing that's written in English. San Jose New Hope Church. That's the name of our church. Do you notice it's not Korean church? There's no Korean church. We're just a church. You know what our church stands for? We offer a hope a new hope that other people don't know about, to San Jose, the hope of the gospel. That's what our church is about. Whether it's in English or in Korean, that's what we're about. Okay? And if you walk into the building and you look at all the people and you're like, well, a majority of the people here seem to be a Korean ethnic background. Well, of course. So in that sense, we are a Korean church because that's just kind of like the external real. But actually... In God, from God, what we really are about, what we, our deepest identity, what's really going on here, is actually not about being Korean at all. It's not. And if you only see the Koreanness, including, by the way, <laughs> including the Korean members of the church, if you're Korean and you're a Christian and I'm a member of this church and you think about this church as a Korean church, let me tell you something, you're wrong. We're the San Jose New Hope Church. We're a gospel church. We do not believe in Jesus plus ethnic comfort zone. Our church does not stand upon Christ and, and, uh, and we like to eat kimchi together. No. We stand on Christ. Alone. The gospel, period. No, There's no addition. And that's why I'm preaching this. And it is hard. That is a hard thing to believe. It is hard to get your head wrapped around. And today, all I'm really trying to do, but it's a powerful thing, is to just give you a transformation of your mind. It's to shift your, your head. To get your... Mind wrapped around this radical, radioactive thing called the gospel. And then, I trust that the Holy Spirit will make, as your mind starts to shift, the gospel will start to trickle down into your heart and will change the way you look at other people, the other groups. That's what we're doing here today. Um, Part one of my message. Let's go to part two. John chapter 4. Part 2. I'm going to talk about breaking down the walls of race, class, and morality. Uh, John chapter 4 is a very famous. Most people know that Jesus had a conversation with the Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman who's had five husbands, so a sexually and dysfunctional, loose Samaritan woman. Most people do not pay attention. Because the fact is, most churches don't touch this issue. Most churches tend to be monocultural, monoethnic. In fact, majority of even in America, America, one of the most multiracial, multiethnic cultures that's ever this country that's ever been on this planet. Even in America, when the churches gather together, it's monocultural, monoracial. Often even mono ethnic. It's right down even to, even to the ones that, that they could. We're an American church. <laughs> this is not even a, a, our church problem. It's all the church's problem. When people say we're an American church, you know what they really mean. And actually, we all think this too. We all think this way. You don't have to be white to think this way. We think this is a Korean church, but that church over there on the other side of town, they are an American church but what we mean that when they, we say that they're an American church is that they're a white-dominant church. That's what we, what we mean. That's what we mean. And so even in the American church, which is at least in principle for anybody who's American, in practice, they won't touch this subject. And we believe in the gospel, but somehow the gospel does not touch this subject. It's a raw and painful and hard subject. And I've been, in the last couple of weeks, I've been preaching out of Romans chapter one, where Paul says, I am obligated to preach the gospel to Greeks and to barbarians, to Jews and to Gentiles. You know what he's saying? The, 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 the kingdom of God is multi-ethnic. It breaks down these barriers and the Jew-Gentile barrier is a deep barrier. Jews hate Gentiles. Greeks hate barbarians. And I picked this passage, John chapter 4, because I want you to see it goes right to Jesus. So let me, let me, let's look at this passage. In John chapter 4, Jesus is going from Judea, which is in the north, down to the big city, Jerusalem is in the south, to Judea, I mean, I'm sorry, Galilee, which is in the north, which is where he's from, that's like Hick town, Hick area, Hick and rural, down to the sophisticated area, Judea, where they have Jerusalem. In order to get there, you have to go through this mid-portion called Samaria, now, a little background. Samaritans are kind of mixed-race Jews, so they don't even look different, okay, They probably don't even really look a whole lot different. It's like if if uh, if a if a Korean person were to bump into a Chinese person outside, they don't look a whole lot different, but inside they are a lot different. And so, if you go back in history, in around if you go back about seven eight hundred years before this time, what happened was the Assyrians came in. And took over and conquered that portion. And what happens when people come and conquer a portion of your land is they tend to come and move in. And then if they move in and then settle down and then they have the power, they run the economy, they run the politics, guess what? Your people want to go to their schools and then they want to enter into their economy. They're the ones that run their economy. And so Jews will say, We're going to, we want to join the Assyrian economy, and then I want to marry your, into your family because you're the rich family. You're the proper family. And that's what starts to happen. And if you do this for hundreds of years, what you get is, is you get a mixed-race folks. You also start getting new religious practices because people who have an Assyrian-type background they are going to be offended at the idea that you have to go to some kind of theology, that you have to go to Jerusalem, to that temple to worship God. I'm like, I don't even know if I fully buy into this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but hey, this is, you know, this is our family sort of believes in this stuff, but let's not go down there. Let's set up camp over here. So they have a different theology. And if you have a different theology, an absolute moral difference... So here's how this works, if you hang out with Koreans and you don't like the way kimchi smells, some of you do, some of you don't, you're not, you're not gonna, that's not going to make you look down on Koreans, that's a barrier, but it's a, it's a relatively low barrier, okay? it's, a, it's a minor barrier, I mean if you really hate the way kimchi smells, it might not be that low of a barrier, because okay? uh, you're not going to go to their house, or you don't want to go over eat their food, and food is a barrier. Food is a barrier. If you hate somebody else's food, you will not want to go into that neighborhood because you won't like that smell in that neighborhood. Really. It's not the hardest barrier, but it's a barrier. If uh, if your son or daughter marries somebody of an ethnicity and you don't like their food, that's a barrier. You will not want to go to your son-in-law's house because you might not like the food that your daughter and your grandchildren eat. I mean, it's... it's. But it's actually much deeper than that. If they have the wrong theology, if they do something that you consider wrong and evil, everybody considers when another culture does something evil, you can't help but look down on that. And in our culture today, it's just, it's just the same. There's lots of people today who would say, I'm secular and I'm agnostic and they would never think to look down upon anybody of a different race or ethnicity. But the only reason they can feel that they do that is because they only hang out with other people that are like them. They hang out with upper uh, educated. They only hang out with educated Asians. College educated American university, American morality, American secular theology. I know that sounds kind of weird but secularism is a theology. Doctrine number one is there is no God and we're not sure if there's a God. And if there is a God, it doesn't really matter because we can still be good people apart from him. That's a theology. If you hang out with another set of people, because if your average college educated person today who was fully bought into that viewpoint then goes into the Middle East or just hangs out with your family, probably your family, and they start honestly saying stuff about other races, they'd be really offended. We would be offended. Maybe you're offended. Maybe you're, you're embarrassed. Because evil, something you consider wrong, you can't help but look down on it. And that's exactly how Jews felt about Samaritans. These people are mixed race, wrong theology, wrong morality. They probably don't hold on to, they're probably not a clean people because they don't hold on to the morality and virtues the way we do because they're not serious about it. I mean, heck, they won't even go down to Jerusalem to the right temple. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus goes, we're going to go from Galilee, Judea. And generally when a Galilean goes down to Judea, you know what he does? He goes like this. He makes a big old detour Crosses the river, then goes on the other side of the river, and then comes back around on the other side. That's how you do it. That's the normal way you make that journey. That's not how Jesus does it. And just picture this trip. Jesus goes, Okay, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's walk. We walk. 12 guys hanging out with him. And then they, they want to make this detour. <laughs> and Jesus goes, well, What are you doing? We go, This is the way, this is the fastest way to Jerusalem that Jesus, um, I, I don't want to go through, do we, do we have to go through that neighborhood? It's like if you're white and you're upper middle class and you live north of Los Angeles in the valley and you decide, I want to go to Orange County and let's just go straight through Compton. Let's walk through Compton. That's what he's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. Many years ago, my wife and I, um, I took my wife on an extended date to go see Les Miserables in New York City. We got off the subway. We were going to wander around a little bit. We took, uh, I, I don't know my way around Manhattan at all. We took, a, uh, we took a wrong turn. And all of a sudden, Grace said, hey, let's walk faster. I'm thinking, why? What's the big deal? And then after a couple blocks, I realized, oh, we're in Harlem we're in Harlem. My goodness, every, it's like two blocks. In two blocks, all of a sudden, everybody became black. It was really weird. It was, it was amazing. And Harlem's famous. I said, oh, look, there's the Apollo Theater. I saw it on TV, and I thought it was cool. So actually, my wife wanted to walk faster. I walked slower, but that's what Jesus is doing. I'm not trying to say I'm so whatever, because, hey, I feel that way too. I go through certain neighborhoods. I'm not so sure I would have been happy to walk through the neighborhood at night. So Jesus is walking through Samaritan neighborhood. That's the Compton of his day. The Disciples do not want to go slowly through that neighborhood. But Jesus decides, hey, let's get lunch. It's noon. They run off and go, okay, we got no food. They go off into town. I'm sure that must have been a fun trip into town. <laughs> Jesus sitting there at a well. There's a woman at this well coming to get water at noon. And let me give you a little background if you don't understand what's going on. Women do not come to the well at noon. First of all, it's hot. You're not going to carry this big jug of water while the sun is beating down right on the top of your head. That's a bad time. And two, you need the water in the middle of the day, so why would you go draw water in the middle of the day? You need it early in the day. Normal, regular women go together, and they go early in the morning. She's the only one there by herself. Why? Because if you got five, women, I mean five men, you probably don't have a good reputation in town. Um, ever meet a, a middle-aged woman who's had five men? She's probably pretty. You, you can't get five men unless you're pretty, <laughs> especially as you get older. That's just the way it works, right? And she's probably sexually loose. And if you're in a small town when everybody knows you and some of those five men that she's had as her husband, probably was somebody else's husband, <laughs> that is a surefire way for every, all the other women in town to hate you. <laughs> So you're not going to want to hang out with them and go to the well with them. And so, not only is she the wrong race, she has the wrong ethnicity, she's probably sexually loose, she's dysfunctional in her, in her marital relationships, and she's pretty, but in a kind of, mm, not in a somewhat maybe more sketchy way. And Jesus goes, Hey, let me have some water. The Bible says, she said, how can you as a Jew talk to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Let me put this in 21st century terms. She probably was thinking, are you smoking crack, dude? What is wrong with you? You can't talk to me. And then she says, And then he gets weird. He says, well, if you knew who you're talking to, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd ask me for the water. And then she says, no, okay, let me translate this again. What the heck are you talking about? You can't get any water. You got nothing to get the water with. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? And then Jesus says, well, The water I give you, you will not thirst again. And now she knows, okay, you're not talking about water, are you? You're not talking about, because any water we drink, we get thirsty again. You must be talking about God. And then she says, well, you Jews have some difference in opinion about this. Actually, we think you're wrong. And then Jesus, I mean, he, he's, it's remarkable. He just says, actually, you're wrong. The Jews know better than you. We're Jews, and we're better than you. I mean, today, that would be really insensitive, intolerant. <laughs> People in the universities will come out from the New York Times, Jesus, you're so intolerant, you can't be saying that. But he just says, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. Salvation's from the Jews, your doctrines are wrong. But actually, Let me even just one-up that. There's actually even a time coming when it's going to go even past what the Jews think. Not even in Jerusalem or in Mount Gerizim, what you think, but in truth and in spirit, something else. And then she goes, well, I heard about this guy named the Messiah. And this is really, it's incredible. Because if you read the four Gospels, Jesus meets people in Israel regularly. And some of them, they, they ask him point blank. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Say it. And scholars debate as to why Jesus just won't just come out and say it. Um, I'll give you, but there are good reasons. I'll just give you one. The conception of the Messiah is really twisted and wrong compared to what, what Jesus wants. So, People have greedy and power-oriented, all these kinds of like worldly selfish-oriented conceptions about the Messiah. And so Jesus doesn't want that to spill out before he can show what the real Messiah himself is really about. So when people ask him, including educated, sophisticated people of of his time, are you the Messiah? He won't answer that question. He didn't say no. He didn't say yes. He's just kind of like... He just just starts teaching what the Messiah is really about. But now he comes to a person whose theology is wrong, whose morality is wrong, whose race is wrong. And she says, well, I heard there's a guy named Messiah. And you know what he says? Point blank, absolutely crystal clear, I'm him. Her reaction is probably this crazy (laughs) guy. Let's... I need to run away because this guy is Looney Tunes. Let's end this conversation really fast. (laughs) And then he says something which is probably a little strange to us because our culture doesn't work this way but it's very normal in his culture because men are not supposed to talk to other women. You're supposed to talk to the man. You're you're supposed supposed to talk to the man in the house. So he says, would you go call your husband, please? So she's probably going, okay, finally, okay, normal. Finally, he's acting like a normal guy. And then she says, well... I don't have a husband. And then he pulls out his powers. Whips out a little, you know, little little, miraculous powers. It's, good, it's a, good, that was a pretty good answer because you've had five. And the dude you're with right now, he ain't your husband. Jaw drops. Starts talking to him further. And then she runs back into town. And when... The town whore with the bad reputation starts screaming about meeting the Savior. People pay attention. I want you to understand what Jesus then says. So she runs off. Then the disciples show up. It says in the passage, they marveled that he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Marvel. That's not a word we use. How about they were completely shocked, disturbed, offended, mortified. I mean, he just did, I don't want to be in this neighborhood. Let's get through this neighborhood as fast as possible. We sure as heck ain't gonna talk to anybody and I can't believe you're talking to her. And then he says, they they said, get him some lunch. Okay, Jesus, are you hungry? And then he, he says, I have food that you don't know about. And they go, any of you guys got any food? I'm holding the Big Macs. Last I checked, he didn't have any Big Macs. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And you know when he says this? He's right here right here in a Samaritan town. And you know what that means? Look, brothers and sisters, many of you, most of you believe in Jesus. Hmm? Um, And you come here because you want to hear the gospel. Most weeks I'm the preacher. But then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're hungry, right? Your soul is hungry. Some of you tell me so. You know what you need? You need the food which Jesus eats, which is to do the will of my Father. And right here in John chapter 4, you know what the will of the Father is? Break down the barrier. Go meet the Samaritan, the person you don't like, the person whose, whose cultural sensibilities makes your skin crawl, the person your whole life you have been conditioned to look down upon and then go look at them and see them differently and offer them hope in God. That's the will of Jesus' Father and he's there to do it and he's saying, you guys may be hungry but I'm actually not because I'm doing I'm eating. And the food that my father has for me. See? Let me close my message. <clears throat> we live in a city where we're all we're all cultural we all have we're cultural consumers and bearers. And hence we are lonely. And we haven't. We don't. We don't eat the things of God. As long as we treat our community as my little comfort zone, I'm going to go find out my little. Comfort. We're just. We're just cultural consumerists. And then we're going to practice secular, racial legalism, which is just just another form of works righteousness legalism, and we're going to keep Christianity bottled up in my and the churchianity of my ethnic little church with its walls. And if that's all we do, we're not really eating of the food that our Father has from us of the gospel. We're not really eating and drinking the deep grace for this time in this city. We are called to break down barriers. And I know it's, look, it's, there is not a, a person in this room, including me, who's not racist, in this deeper way. We all want some little comfort. I mean, we probably have different kinds of little, some of you don't like this people, some of you don't like that people. <laughs> okay? Some of you don't like this about them, this about that. Okay, fine. Okay, that's, but we can all begin to say, actually, Jesus has to be bigger. The gospel is bigger. I need a food deeper. I'm going to close this message um, with two quick pictures. One is, um, I'm going to give you a little plug on Bishop. One of my favorite things about Bishop is I see educated, upper-class Asian-Americans go into a poor Neighborhood. Socioeconomics is part of the barrier, too. Where family and morality is in chaos. And I watch educated Asian Americans look at Paiutes who are poor, whose lives are in moral chaos, and look at them through the lens of the gospel. It is one of the most beautiful things I've ever ever seen in this church. Anybody who ever sees that does not walk away from Bishop hungry. You feel fed. It's a picture. And let me close this message this way. This past Monday, you know, every week I give you passages to chew on for our devotions that we call quiet times. I don't know how many of you do them. I hope at least some of you do some of them. (laughs) Okay. Monday, it's always strange to me because I pick these passages because they're somewhat relevant to whatever I preached that week. So this week I'll be you know, pick, picking passages that have something to do with uh, cultural barriers, how the gospel pertains to cultural barriers. Last week I talked about righteousness. And, and, and so I picked this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21 says this. For our sakes he made him, that is God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god many of you know that verse because you know that song he became sin who knew no sin right that's it's from this verse 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 and it's about it's like a spot on perfect verse to teach justification by christ's righteousness not our righteousness so that's why i picked that passage for last week's devotions but while I was doing the devotions, and, and God does this to me with some regularity, he kicks me in the head and tells me something from something that has nothing to do with why I picked this passage. And here's what he, here's what he said. Uh, so while I was doing this quiet time, I started laughing because I was prepping this sermon <laughs> about racial barriers and communal walls, and I started laughing with delight that God would share this. And here's what it says. Verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't only look at them according to their skin color. We don't only look at them apart from God. Because that's how most of us, we we size up other people without God and and Christ and the Holy Spirit and, and the gospel. It's like not on our radar. It's not relevant to how we look at other people. But he says... Now, we do not regard people only according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, that's how we looked at Jesus. We looked at Jesus as he was just some Jewish teacher. He was a a moral guy. But now, we regard him thus no longer. We know. We see him through the lens and the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are new. You don't know that you're new, but you're new. You're not acting upon that that which is a new creation because you don't quite trust it enough yet. But this is what it tells you. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The old community. The old racism. The old prejudice. We can wash it away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. You see it? it's not just me and my sins paid for so I can get to go to heaven. It's so that the we, we could be reconciled. And the we is not just Asians. It's not just educated type people. It's crossing the barriers. There'll be a reconciliation of that which is deeply divided. To be a new family who eat the food of God just like Jesus does when he goes right into Samaria, right into the Compton of his day, and says, hey, be my sister. Sister, strange woman, ruining your families, everybody in town hates you, Samaritan, terrible people with terrible theology, and evil things that we look down upon, I invite you to be my sister. That's what grace does. That's what the cross does. And in this church, um, I have to say to you right now, all of you who are not Korean, you just make me so happy. (laughs) You really do. Not because, um, you know, whatever, I dislike Koreans or anything like that, but because it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. And even those of us here in this church, I want to call you to believe this to believe this. And, and we will step forward every little ways that we can, whatever barriers there are, let's knock them down. And just like some of us have done out in Bishop to Paiutes, because this is our reservation, guys. San Jose is our reservation. <laughs> it's a weird reservation, isn't it? Well, we'll see where we can eat the food of God and break down barriers by the grace of Jesus Christ, Christ alone. Let's eat some good food and go to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are a crazy God. And we admit that you are disturbing to us. And we confess, King and Captain Lord Jesus, we are afraid to go where you go. We're afraid to go into those neighborhoods. We're afraid to ask our friends, even our coworkers. It's nice to keep little uh, easy, light conversations. I'm not a racist, you're not a racist, but actually we're not even close at all. And maybe we're not even necessarily trying to so-called get Jesus into them. But how about just first loving them? Well, we don't even know how to do that. And look at them, not through the eyes of flesh, but through the power of the Spirit. And look at these people all around us, our friends, our neighbors, and regard them as potentially being renewed by grace. I pray, Lord, that you would just turn New Hope Church 2015 to a really weird community, a gloriously strange and beautiful community. I pray that that all the Korean walls will come down and we would start thinking, I can just invite them. I pray that the walls will come down in our minds. And I pray that you would lead us to friends and neighbors whose walls you will take down. You will go before us and you will take down their walls of prejudice and resistance as we invite them into our circles and hang out with us. They would taste of the food that we have eaten, of how your grace forms a new kind of people which makes us full. Pray this in Jesus' name.